platforms seem to drive our, uh, our economy today. And we will talk on our cozy panel about this really complex matter because it affects everything today. So we have Annabel Gore. She's one of the leading experts in that field, consulting the EU about platforms, writing one book after the other about platforms, PhD at MIT about platforms. <laughs> so very welcome. This is Olivier. He's vice president at Booking.com, one of the most important travel platforms, can, travel e-commerce platforms, whatever. Um, responsible for the strategy in homes and apartments. So you're moving into a market where Airbnb all, uh, was all the time, and you worked for Airbnb before that for six years to doing their strategy, right, in, in an international market. Right. Welcome. Thank you. And this is Craig. He's working for 20 years now for IBM and building the software behind platforms. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly basically <sighs> what we do. Yeah. So, <laughs> and <laughs> welcome. Thank you. <laughs> and Dora Petrani correct. is a partner at CMS, um, expert for technology, media, and communications, and is based in Budapest. Welcome. So, Annabelle, um, I think some time ago when you wrote your thesis at MIT about platforms, I read your professor said you should remove the word platforms from the title of the, of the PhD because nobody knows what that means, <laughs> right? And two or three years ago, um, German CEOs were asked by um, a local organization what platforms are, and 60% of them had no idea. So today, everyone knows what that is, what we mean by platforms, digital platforms. But another gamification, could you in 16 seconds explain what a platform is? Sure, I can try. Start now. Yeah. So a platform is a technology that uh, creates values in two different ways. Uh, one way in which platforms create value is by being intermediaries across different constituencies, and, um, and we call that a transaction platform. They could be like an online marketplace, and so they are facilitating uh, finding each other, exchanging and transacting, and they are subject to so-called network effects, which means more people use the platform on one side, more value is created on the other side. The second way in which platforms create value, which is a little bit overlooked, is that they are innovation building blocks. There are technologies such as operating systems, uh, such as Android, for example, or iOS, which provide a basic technology, like a piece of a Lego block, onto which lots of people and lots of organizations can innovate on top of the platforms. And these are the two ways in which platforms create value. Perfect. It's, it's exactly 60 seconds. <laughs> okay. I need many more Toblerone bars today. Um, <laughs> Um, so I was wondering, while I, by preparing this really complex matter, I thought, and I, our platforms just, so many people, and we will talk about this later, are complaining about platforms changing our economy, and they are so bad, and it's, it's terrible, 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 but aren't they just the future form of e economy in the whole? So are platforms just the modern form economy works? Yes, I, I would completely agree with that. And I think that... Uh 
you know, over 100 years ago, we had the Industrial Revolution, which created the modern corporation the way we know it. Thanks to economies of scale, economies of scope in manufacturing, you had a new form of way to create value and to transact. And these are the firms the way we know them today, and they operated within things we call industry. And if you are in the paper industry, you don't compete with the, with the grocery store industry. But today, what we see is that instead of having firms competing within industries, we have platforms and their ecosystems of complementors as well as rivals and, and, and users who are comp competing against platforms. And if you look at a company like Amazon, which is going from one industry to the next, to the next, to the next, we realize that the old concept that we had that if you're in one industry, all you have to worry about are your rivals, is completely gone. And if you, this number you cited, the seven out of the top ten in terms of market cap, the fact that there are platforms is not by chance at all, is these firms have realized how to harness, one, the new technology that we have, which is an interconnected world and digital technologies, and two, they innovated on business models, which by now we understand, you subsidize one side, you give things for free in order to bring other people on board. And so the new ways in which companies are going to survive are going to be uh, different from last century, where it was about mastering the supply and the economies of scale and economies of scope in supply. Now, we as users, we don't only consume platforms and digital services. At the same time, we generate data. And those companies which are more talented than others, are capturing that data, are re-injecting that back into their very services. So what we see now is a very unprecedented feedback loop between the demand and the supply. And these network effects or feedback loops, they are propelling these, these firms. And this is a new force to tap into to really generate uh, economic gains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's complex, okay? So, because it's so complex, I want to share, and be, before we start complaining about platforms, what we definitely will do today, I wanted to share two positive stories out of my life of um, platform business. My first ever Uber driver was a farmer in Phoenix, and it was a woman driving me to the airport with her dirty truck. Mm -hmm. And it was like, hey, why do you do that? Oh, it, it helps me to save the farm. It's great that mm -hmm. Uber exists now. And I just take my truck. And the second story is um, I met before Chris. I'm a collector of bonsai trees. And it's a really distributed business, you know, really small. And in Germany, in a village in southern Germany, I stumbled over a big um, house where many, many bonsai trees were. And there was a big dealer of bonsai trees. And the guy was in an electric wheelchair. And I was like, what do you do here? How do you survive on the countryside in Germany? Oh, I'm on eBay. And he started in the 80s, and he nearly broke down. And then the internet came. And now he's one of the biggest dealers of bonsai trees living on the countryside in an electric wheelchair. So these are two um, stories uh, how platforms change the life of people in a positive way. I just mm -hmm. wanted to say, also, Airbnb and booking are great platforms in a way because people who never had the idea to rent something now rent their flat and get additional money. So if I'm moving to Japan, what I will do um, later that year, I will rent my flat in Berlin. It's great. I make some money. And so the, the whole market changed. And you, you also rent your flat, right? 
Yeah, uh, you know, an example, I was off over Christmas break. I rented my place to two families, one coming from the UK celebrating Christmas, the other one celebrating New Year's Eve in my place in Amsterdam. I made some money, paid for uh, my vacation uh, myself. Who mm -hmm. has anything to complain about? Like, uh, it's amazing. Before we talk about the complex stuff, what, what department would you recommend on a global scale? What's the most interesting thing you can rent on this planet? So my apartment is available for <laughs> <laughs> a, a very cheap price. Uh, I have amazing reviews, so you're how welcome any time. <laughs> no, more seriously, there are a lot of things we propose on, on, on uh, Booking.com, like uh, you can have a tree house somewhere, you can have actually a villa in front of the sea somewhere, you can have an apartment in Berlin, mm -hmm. in Tokyo, in other places. So. The variety of what you can find is actually what defines the specific sector. The fact that you can actually rent uh, things for a group. A lot of, many of you most likely are renting apartments uh, mm. in Davos this week. Uh, and it's, you know, it's just a good way for people in Davos to make money mm. from the forum and for others to actually find an accommodation when you know, there is no place in the hotel anymore. When Airbnb moved into the market, this used to be a big problem for for example, Booking.com with their hotel business, right? And they transformed the market. Now we see something like, if you go to London, for example, or Paris, you, you um, very often meet kind of virtual hotels. So like people managing 10 flats or something and make a living out of that, buying the flats, paying, paying the, uh, the stuff by just renting them out. So there's a strange new business uh, going on, uh, which wasn't there before. How big is it? So it's difficult to know how many of them, and we have to differentiate two things. For instance, when, when you are going to rent my apartment, um, unfortunately, I'm not going to How much is it again? Uh, it depends. <laughs> okay. uh, the price fluctuates, but, uh, you know, it can be cheap. Um, somebody is going to welcome you. It's not going to be me because, by definition, I'm on vacation myself. So this person actually manages 100, per, 100 apartments at the same time. It doesn't mean that he owns all these apartments at all. So, and actually, this person actually manages only primary residences and is not owning an entire neighborhood. Uh, in some markets, you have people who actually find that it was actually pretty lucrative to actually uh, buy some apartments and actually make a business out of it. In some places, it's totally fine, it's totally legal, regulated. In some other places, it's a bit more mm. challenging, and uh, regulators are actually looking into that. Yeah, and they look into that. So I'm living opposite the most famous techno club of the world. It's called Berghain. And so 200, 200 meters away. And so the whole, the whole neighborhood is just a techno party, right? And all the flats are rented to EasyJet guys and girls uh, flying into Berlin, having a party, and they are uh, away again, which is nice in a way, but many, many people, many neighbors are complaining now. And so there's a huge regulation effort going on in Berlin, in Paris, in New York, in London, and, and so on. How do you deal with that? What's yeah. your take on that? Yeah, I think there is some of that. And, you know, you, you chose to actually live next to this club. So it was not uh, these people's decision. Um, uh, but I want, to I want to look at the other side. Like the questions that my guest asked me for Christmas was the size of my oven for their turkey. So it didn't destroy or disrupt necessarily that much the neighborhood on whether my oven was actually big enough for the, uh, the turkey that they wanted to cook for Christmas Eve. So I think some people actually coming and partying, whether in a hotel or in uh, um, you know, vacation rental, some others are like families like the one that I welcomed, or actually just, you know, uh, my neighbors don't even notice when somebody new arrives. Mm. Sometimes they say, oh, yeah, you had some guests recently. I said, yeah, but, um, you know, otherwise they don't notice because it's just people living in my apartment when I'm gone. Mm. 
That's another problem. We'll come back to that later in other spheres. So if I run a medium-sized, really ugly hotel somewhere in the countryside, in former times I just made, made deals with people and they sent me guests, right? Today this is impossible. So a whole system collapsed of ugly little hotels. <laughs> you think that's funny, but if you think about it again, um, these are also people who have to have new jobs. If you are a taxi driver that is a little bit ugly in an old taxi, right, you have a real problem since Uber and my taxi in Germany, for, for example, exists. So is there any recommendation you have for these ugly little hotels? Uh, yeah, just to improve their service and actually be better hotels. Uh, so it's just, actually, it's, it's, what you're saying is just die if you can't, right? No, no, no. Actually, actually say the opposite. So I actually go in front of a hotel lobbies very often, and I have a, you know, as the representative oh, okay. of homes and apartments, and you can imagine when I'm on stage what kind of questions I get. And very often it's actually pretty aggressive sometimes. But when I go on stage one time, somebody arrives to me and say, "Hey, I'm not going to say that publicly, but what you do is very good for industry." Because you keep us on our toes, uh, you make sure that we actually all have to do a good job and we are not ruining the reputation of the hotel industry by providing b bad services. Mm. And if companies like our platforms or the Ubers of the world make the taxi drivers actually better, I think, you know, uh, everybody benefits. Mm. That's another pr so now we are in the complaining mode, right? <laughs> so that's, that's another problem um, with platforms. <coughs> Craig, you know the most on this panel about software Uh, on these platforms. And I, I was wondering, so you're building tools kind of to reduce the amount of repetitive work we have to do. Mm -hmm. It's a very friendly word for you kill a lot of jobs maybe by, automat uh, by automatization. Automation. I'm sorry. Automation. Right? Yeah. Can you say it again? Through automation. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that's not really how we see it. What we see basically is that <laughs> if you have a job today, people's expectations in the future are a little bit different. You know, um, if you call a call center, none of you in this room would want to sit and wait on the call center for somebody to pick up the phone. You would want immediate service as quickly as possible. So, you know, we've done things like deploying AI for big banks in the UK right. and around the world who use the AI as a first filtering mechanism to... Um, engage with the people, understand their intent. But once you have that intent from the person, you can then put that into um, automation straight through to execute the activity instead of sending a queue to a shared service center. So you get very rapid execution of the activity for the client, right. the end client. And of course, on the bank side, they see it's, a, it's fantastic because you know they can see either they can redeploy, reskill these people, and they um, can... Make sure they have a very high quality level of execution in those systems. So the, the number of errors, of course, drastically reduces because it's a fully automated process to update 14 systems with all the same information that's being changed for change of address or something very simple like that. Do you have kids? Yes, I do. Yes, I have a 10 and an 8-year-old. So in the world where software does many more jobs than before, what, what do you – so how old are they? 10 and 8. Perfect. So what, what would you recommend your kids to use? I ask it all, every software guy on this planet, if I have him or her on the panel, I ask that question. What do you recommend to your kids to do in the future to 
be uh, so to thrive what do, should they study what what should they do should they become artists or what's your recommendation is so so i think my youngest is already thinking artist so i don't oh, need to do perfect. any persuasion there but the oldest would like to be a lawyer and i think we have a few lawyers in the room today and a great great job you know obviously interestingly enough if you talk to people in various parts of technology the law community is ripe for disruption This is a area where you think, okay, so, um, no, uh, there's areas, areas standing out for automation. And I think that you will see, and you already see it in the marketplace today, various companies are providing point solutions for various elements of um, legal work. But slowly but surely, the routine work will be boiled away from that activity, and you'll end up with either immediately into complex work for certain types of legal um, situations. Of course, certain activities will never be done, but certain things will, it will change the way that if you become a, a law student, when you go to the law company, you will start working on more complex work much more quickly than you might have done in the past. In the past, you might have had to have done three, four years of relatively routine, relatively repetitive work for the partner. Well, if that work is taken away because it's been automated, then those people can start working on much more complex and interesting things from day one. So that means maybe they get to billing rates faster for those particular law firms. So secondly, um, though the kind of um, law those people can work in, the complexity of the law situation they can look at in the future mm. it comes much faster than it would today. So mm. I think there's a, a, a level of service that, the generation that my children are going through will expect from their law firms. And I think by then, the law industry will have changed quite significantly. And I think we'll see mm. that coming. Mm. Mm. So platforms are so using multi-sided business uh, models, right? So you, you are a customer. So Facebook, for example, we have several businesses going on at the same time, if I got it right. So you have people um, with social interactions. And at the end, it's kind of business, but it's for zero dollars. On the other hand, you have advertisers buying attention span of people exchanging social interactions, right? So it's another, it's some kind of B2C market. And because they're so effective, these platforms, namely Facebook and Google, ate a huge chunk of the ad market, which is another space um, where disruption happens these days. And just yesterday, so at the EU level, there's a project going on to reforming um, the copyright. And so just yesterday, Google announced that they will pull Google News out of Europe like they did it in Spain before. If the law we are thinking about on an EU level, a level um, will, um, will really happen. So I was wondering, if, are, we, are we not able to regulate that in a smart way? So that would be a question for the media lawyer. Are we really smart dealing with these new platforms at the moment? Um, first, let me tell you a, a statistics that I read recently. Um, only 8% of companies that currently exist will be able to maintain their business model if the pace of digitization is keeping up hmm. in a way that it is now. Only 8%. What you're saying is, please die media companies? Or? Uh, no, you're a media company, so I'm going to be very gentle this time. <laughs> Um, what I'm saying is that basically everything is now in an evolution and innovation has never been so quick as it is now. So when we talk about regulation, we need to be extremely careful whether or not we impose hurdles 
And that is also the case of the copyright directive. The copyright directive was in force since 2001. A little bit similar than the privacy directive, the one before GDPR was in force uh, since uh, 1995. So it if you want to change the regulation after 18 years, be very careful when you do that mm -hmm. because there might be some consequences. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, if Google wants to withdraw, that's fine because that's an enterprise. They can do that. The question is, what does it result in for the industry? What is the industry that it results in? How do you define the market? And actually, what will be the next opportunity that arises from that? Mm -hmm. A question for all of you. Do you think that law uh, um, lawmakers um, get track of what's happening at the moment in this space? Do they really understand what they are trying to regulate? question for all of you. Do you have the feeling in your business that they know what they are doing? So I've met with a few this week, and some of them have no clue. Some of them are very savvy. Uh -huh. uh, I'm not going to tell you. You can look at my agenda and you'll see. Oh, okay. uh, but no, I think some people really understood that uh, you know, AI is not only a buzzword. They need to understand what it is, what the platforms are, and trying to really uh, look at you know, some of the consumer benefits of them, but also whether it needs to be regulated. Mm. Uh, I was in other discussions earlier when people say it's not really that different from what we had in the past. Uh, if some of the platforms build a monopoly, we had to deal with monopolies in the past for the past 100 years. Mm -hmm. So we'll deal with them in the same way. But uh, I think the main difference is uh, the standard Doral uh, took, you know, as, you know, tens and uh, you know decades to actually build itself. Now it's actually going very fast, and very often the regulators are not necessarily always catching up as fast as they could. Right. But some of them are actually very savvy and know exactly what's happening and uh, and have the right balance uh, uh, between you know regulating something if needed, but at the same time not hampering the. Um, you know, the, the, the consumer benefit because a lot of the platforms actually have a very strong benefit. Not Do all of them. lawmakers know what they're doing at the moment when it comes to the platform sphere? Well, there, there is definitely a lot of work going on. The question is, so if you look at the EU homepages, it's like fulfilled with agendas, items, studies, if, uh, you name it. The real question is whether it is enough, for example, for the EU lawmakers to look at the EU and, or whether or not there isn't a need for a more global initiative. And to me, that is the question. When, they, when we talk about lawmakers, who are the lawmakers that we talk about? If I talk about a national lawmaker, I don't think that they, they would be technically savvy enough, mm. but I don't think that's their job. Mm -hmm. they, probably it's EU or even on a global level where we need to find the right forum in order to be able to keep up with the pace of innovation. Mm. The software person on this panel. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I think that we are getting to a situation where, from our, from our perspective, most of our clients are obviously large multinationals, and they are already in an increasingly tighter regulatory environment. Mm. So de the demands put on them are demands put on us as a supplier in order to respond to that. So I think that we are doing that through the client demand. You know, the clients demand all the platforms that we provide have to be GDPR compliant and as of this date. So if we are running their platforms for them, then we're expected to comply with that and make that happen. Mm. And so I think that the, it's coming through the industry pipe and then in, in, into the industry that way from a, from a technology perspective. You are consulting these guys. Yeah, for free. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, so you can so, say whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. Um, What's your feeling? I think, I think uh, first of all, regulation is unavoidable, right? These platforms, as we've said earlier, they generate a huge amount of value. And, and um, 20 years ago, when this whole Internet thing started, lots of people were very excited about the democratization of markets. Lots of people would have a voice. The old structures of yesterday would be, uh, would be weakened. And there was a huge amount of enthusiasm about that. And ironically, 20 years later, what we see is that even if there is a, a greater democratization and distribution of the way in which value is created, the way value is actually captured is extremely centralized. And therefore, what we see now is that we as a society and as citizens, we look at these platforms and we expect them to behave in a way which uh, is commensurate with their power. You know, with great power comes great responsibility. I think it comes from Spider-Man. <laughs> and so what we see now is that in competition law, in consumer law, in privacy law, um, you have a number of people who are learning with experts who are trying to decide whether and how to evolve the law or to enforce the law. And at the same time, there's new regulation, like the Platforms to Business Regulation, which the European Commission uh, uh, created a, a few months ago. What I wonder is if collectively we can't go beyond the same old film that you've, we've seen over the last decades where platforms become powerful or companies become powerful. Why do they become powerful? Because they offer value to lots of, lots of clients. And then they tend to start abusing their power because they can. And they tend to uh, get a little too comfortable. And then they tend to, yes, engage with regulators in a way of lobbying. And then there is a sort of adversarial relationship between regulators who try to play catch-up and uh, companies who sometimes uh, become very short-sighted on their business logic. I think we have an opportunity to think about creating a forum of a participative governance. Because if you think about these powerful platforms, they are like mini private governments. The way they govern their own platforms is they make the rules and they enforce the rules and they change their, their, their mind from time to time. So in a way, they're like private governments of the past. Are we going to be able to, to, to push back so that they feel it's their responsibility to not only innovate on the technology, not only innovate on the business model, but innovate on the way these ecosystems are governed? And I hope we will go, we're going to get there. Can I, can I just quickly sure. react on what Annabelle was saying? And um, that is that um, if... If you're a regulator and if you choose the topic right, actually you can enhance competitivity of uh, Europe as well. Um, let's just take an example of the 5G race where a year ago in Barcelona at the uh, Mobile World Congress, everybody was talking about the fact how Europe is lagging behind. Whereas what happened is that in the new, um, new European framework, they allowed co-investment. So they realized, the European regulators did realize that we need to allow the biggest competitors in Europe to build the networks together. And that way, we need uh, to enhance competitivity of European, com uh, of European players. And just yesterday, there was uh, not only the Google News announcement, but another in announcement uh, where uh, Peter Stuckman said, that, uh, who is head of Spectrum, that there are no uh, more pilots on the globe than in Europe currently going on. So if you are very good, if you're good at your job in regulation, you can actually enhance competitivity. Is there any idea how to, so smart idea how to regulate this business without destroying it? 
Any suggestions by the ex not by you? Well, Annabelle was looking at me quite a bit. She was <laughs> okay. uh, saying about regulation, uh, about platforms. Uh, I agree with what, what would was be said. Nice for Booking.com in terms of regulation. It's something that Annabelle said, which is a universal regulation, and not something where every single and you said it as well, where every single country is actually doing their own thing. Right. Uh, because then. For some reason, in Europe, we have a tendency to regulate a little bit more than in other countries, and we don't realize that we hurt actually our own business. Like uh, on a similar issue, the tax, the digital tax that is being discussed right mm -hmm, now, mm -hmm. it needs to be dealt with at the global level, mm -hmm. not at the European level, and even worse, at the local level, where like some countries are doing right now, even including my own. Uh, no, at some point, I was on a panel earlier, and somebody came to me at the end, an American, and he says, on the digital tax, he said, you, your parents are crazy. You are hurting your own companies with doing these things for political reasons. Hmm. And what he was saying is basically we already have some hurdles to, big, to build some uh, big uh, tech platforms or tech you know, uh, companies in general because our market is more fragmented than China or the U.S. And on top of that, we actually make additional regulations uh, by country or we make additional taxes. So I'm not against regulation at all. Actually, I think GDPR is a very good example of something that works actually quite well and was initiated in Europe. Uh, but I think we need to make sure that we don't regulate for the sake of regulating. And we need to make sure that it's actually something global. Otherwise, our European companies are actually going to lose at the end of the day. Hmm. Unfortunately, we are nearly, nearly the end, near the end of this panel. So the last question, because it's so weird. There's a project going on, and I, I have to ask you again, Craig, okay. of the, the German and the French antitrust agencies, and they are looking into AIs building monopolies and cartels <coughs> without the platforms even knowing that, because they are just bidding for prices and looking into the market. And if there are several AIs doing the same thing, they couple to each other. And so the prices are synchronized. Mm -hmm. And that's really bad for customers. And it's the behavior of a monopoly without the people who run the platforms knowing that. So, so that's terrible. It's, it's, can, it's not helpful. How can we yeah. ever, how can we ever uh, deal with that? Um, I suspect that that's a topic for another panel. However, <laughs> having said that, um, I think that there is a... In the same way as you can't know it if two people are colluding without your knowledge that is affecting a monopoly, um, I think the same way is we need to, if we're getting to a more and more digitized world, we have to take a digitized approach to the way that we look at regulation. And we have to think about how can we deploy capabilities like AI and other, other analytics tools right. to start analyzing what's going on in the marketplace and therefore to flag up areas where there might be areas of concern. And this is something for sure which the technology industry can respond to. We're getting kill signs. So here's the Toblerone question. How many of the ten, how many of the ten largest companies by revenue, how many of the ten largest companies by revenue are platforms? Zero. Zero. It was you? Who, who was the person with zero? Yeah, it was you. <laughs> <laughs> please, please think about this. So by revenue, there's no platform on the top. Thank you very much for your panelists.